for continuing our look at Christianity Today's podcast, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Today we are looking at episode two. All right, so let's get into it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. And today, yep, we are a little bit behind the power curve here. If you're following this show at all, we sort of started with episode five. That's where we kind of made the decision, all right, we need to review this show. So we're going back, trying to get caught up. And I think as of yesterday, episode six just released. So the plan is going to be to have episode three and four probably done and out before Monday so that Monday we can do episode six in preparation of getting ready for episode mm-hmm. seven. So we're going to try to start ramping this thing up here to just to get caught up in case you guys are either watching this or, or listening to it or you're interested in it. Mm-hmm. We just want to get the information out there, sort of where we stand on this podcast and what we think are things you should pay attention to mm-hmm. or just be aware of when you're listening to it. So yep. before we dive into this episode, honey, do you have anything you would like to say? Just want to get you guys up on our Discord channel. I mean, we've got a few people on there, but it's really nice discussing uh, things with each other. I know a couple people had questions or prayer requests, so hop on there and we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Yeah, and the great thing about Discord for us and the reason why we push it so much, you know, it's Facebook, everybody's on there, right? And there's all these different groups, but the problem with Facebook is you don't know who's on there. And it's like, you ever seen someone like, Hey, can you pray for me about this? And then you get maybe one legitimate like person that's like, Oh, I'll pray for you. And then there's 87, you know, Hey, you did this to yourself. Screw you. Your theology's wrong. And you're like, yeah, I don't need that. So our discord is just a place for like-minded believers. When you have a prayer request, you know that there's prayer warriors that are going to be praying for Mm -hmm. you. When you got a praise report, there's not going to be naysayers it's going to be people that are encouraging you and praising with you. So that's why we like it. It's we can yeah. kind of keep better control of what's going on on there. And it's, you know, not a bunch of bunch of Facebook Christians out there. So Facebook Christian. <laughs> anyways, yeah. And then uh, we got a prayer request. Um, just some people we know at church, they're sort of going through kind of the, the foster care adoption thing. And we would really love your prayers to have this sort of break in their favor and happen quickly so that this young, beautiful little child can have a nice godly home to be raised in. That would be wonderful. And then lift up the mother. The biological mother is a woman that is in serious need of God's uh, hand of mercy on her life. So just pray for them. If you would, we would certainly appreciate it. So As we mentioned, yeah, we're going to take a look here today at episode two from the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And then obviously, in case you've missed the other two, we've done episode five, which was kind of tied in with a mid-season review. And then we jumped back to episode one. Those are both on the channel. You can go find them. So a little bit out of order, but we are getting caught up. Mm -hmm. And so episode two, though, is kind of an odd episode in this podcast series. And yeah. it like it's weird because it doesn't focus a whole lot on Mars Hill. The idea of it, it's basically an episode about megachurch culture in America in general. 
They do focus a little bit on Mars Hill, tying this all in together. So we'll focus on Mars Hill where we can, but this is going to be, because it's such a weird episode, we're not even going to necessarily touch a ton on the podcast ideas right. that they were talking about. We're going to use the ideas they talked about and kind of give you our own thoughts on them in mm -hmm. a sense. So this isn't a super deep episode. But it's something I it's think... It's very interesting for sure. Yeah, it's interesting and we've enjoyed talking about it. Just, you know, the whole mega church idea. Oh, yeah. You start talking mega churches and you got people on every different side <laughs> yeah, of the Yeah, but you learn about all the pastors involved in it and how they built their churches and just the whole strategy. It's just, it's been really interesting learning about it from that, like a business perspective. It's totally yeah, different. I thought was fascinating. <laughs> and this is just kind of something, as you were mentioned, I thought of early in the episode, they talk about kind of all throughout church history. There's generally been about 12 mega churches in the world mm -hmm. at any given time throughout church history. But since basically the 19, late 70s, early 80s, there's huge growth of megachurches in America to where there's over 300 in our country today. Whereas yeah, if you go all throughout church history, there's generally 12 at any given mm -hmm. time. So there's obviously been a massive explosion. And that's kind of what they're touching on in this episode. Why did this happen? How did it happen? Yeah, it's interesting because there's a reason why it exploded. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the first point, that you brought up, and this is maybe, again, not tying in with the church culture, just this is that quick little look at Mars Hill and what was going on there. And we've talked in episode five and episode one sort of about this leadership culture that was around Mark Driscoll mm -hmm. and how we think it was either completely weak and feckless or just toxic all the way around. Because they say right when the episode sort of starts that it was only nine weeks from the mm -hmm. day that Mark Driscoll gave his resignation letter that Mars Hill was hosting their final Sunday service. And this was a 15,000 member, 15 uh, different sites yeah. encompass this church. And only nine weeks after the lead pastor resigned, it was done, completely done. That's crazy. Like all that leadership in all the churches just quit. And that's the point that we've tried to make throughout this. Like, they seem to be doing a lot of like finger point at Mark Driscoll yeah. and this. And it could have been all his fault. But man, you start seeing things like this. And they mentioned in previous episodes 67 elders, 15 different pastors at different churches. So there's all these men, supposed men of God. Mm -hmm. And your one lead pastor goes, and they said they had a two to three hour meeting, one meeting, and decided. The whole church is done. We're folding the whole thing. And it only took nine weeks yeah. to just close down a 15, the fastest growing church like in the country. I want to know why. Like I so badly just want to listen to all of those episodes. Just. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, so. I don't like waiting for the uh, And I'm sure they're going to get into <laughs> it here eventually, but we just thought that was so odd. And it ties back into that whole idea of the people that were around Driscoll and it could have been Mark Driscoll's doing, right? Maybe he surrounded himself with these weak and uh, basically Maybe. toxic personalities. These that, are all just guesses. This yeah. isn't anything that they disclosed and said anything. We're just trying to figure it out. Like, how did it happen? Is it because of Mark? Really is startling. it because of the leadership? Like, what is it? It's something, because it's crazy. So another point 
that they bring up in this one specifically. And they talk a lot in this about, again, sort of the founding of this mega church culture in America. And they speak a little bit about Rick Warren in particular, and then Bill Hybels, who, if you're unfamiliar with Bill Hybels, he's another disgraced pastor. Uh, I forgot to mention him in our How the Mighty Have Fallen episode, but he fell into a sex scandal himself Mm -hmm. and had to resign. But Bill Hybels, at his height, Willow Creek was maybe the most influential church in America. You know, if you ever wonder why all of your churches that you ever go to are exactly the same, you're like, oh, we're going to go in and we're going to sing three or four worship songs. We're going to pray. Then we're going to do an altar call at the end. Like, it's basically Bill Hybels. It's the same format. Yeah. Yeah. So very influential man in American Christianity, but it talks about how he sort of built this church in Willow Creek. And it mentions what you had talked about is he would go door to door. And when they mm-hmm. planted Willow Creek, he would knock door to door and he would ask the people that he knocked on, like, what do you want from a church? Like, basically, what brand of church would get you to show up? Yeah, I'd ask them, like, why don't you go to church? And I wonder if he said things like, well, I'm building the church, and if if I build it the way that you like, will you come? I just wonder if he asked that. They don't say he asked that, but that's going through my mind. Like, make an agreement. I'll do it. You better come. <laughs> yeah, and this kind of goes to our point where somehow – in America, we've gone to the point where like church is run like a business because this is a very business mindset yeah. where you're like, Hey, you know, we do market research in business, right? Like what kind of, uh, you know, politician, everybody does this. Hey, if I yeah. say this buzzword, what kind of reaction does it get? If I wear a red tie, does it, you know, right. convey power or purple and it's more related? We do all this sort of market research in a business world because we want people's dollars but it's very weird to see that in a church setting. And they talk about things in here where this sort of spurned on like the seeker sensitive movement where they would be, they were very focused on the decor in the church, the music in mm-hmm. the church. Um, what other things do they talk about? Speedy sermons. Yeah. Said. Making sure the sermons weren't too long. I think 20 minutes is like what people said. Yeah. Well, just looking online, I was looking up all the top reasons people go to church or what they look for and like quick sermons and like the worship being like pretty much what they're saying is enjoyable. And I don't know. I don't see anything in the Bible, the early church, um, trying to reach the culture through I guess, I don't know, whatever they are into to get them to come. And it's like, so he was going door to door asking about what they'd want in a church, but we should be going door to door just preaching the gospel and getting to know, getting to know people because we are the church. Like, I don't have to convince somebody to come over to my house. Like, oh, you want to come and fellowship? And do I need to say, oh, my house is really clean and I'm going to cook um all these, this food that you like, like think about applying that church strategy to your own home. If you were inviting somebody over that you were trying to reach, like, are you trying to convince them to come to your house? So well, you think can of that, reach like, them? I think people do that. Now that you're mentioning, like how many times do you go and like, we've moved into a bunch of houses and we know people that move all the time and they're like, they do a house, like a walkthrough and they're like, Oh, we could have like 
bunch of people over in this room would be great for gatherings yeah. and like this big kitchen and bar area. And they do say things. Our <laughs> like, friends and family say, oh, now we can have a small group because we have all these things that people will enjoy when they come over. But if you have a dinky one-bedroom apartment, you can still have people over because they're coming because they want to hear the truth and they want the fellowship. They're not impressed with the way your house looks or what neighborhood you live in. Or And I don't know. I mean, like, I'm torn on this because there's obviously... I'm not 100% opposed to it. You should, you know, you don't want to have like, oh, we paint all the walls black and, you know, well, we don't use microphones. So you want it to be somewhat welcoming. enjoyable and yeah. welcoming to people. But yeah, I think, and this is what the seeker sensitive sort of, uh, what sort of the backlash against, against it has been, I guess, is that you're focused on all these things that get people in the door and you're so focused on it that like you don't want to lose people. So you never really give them this hard hitting message where you're confronting their sin. And it's just these nice messages. Hey, you know, your blessings right around the corner and God's here for you and you feel good. And you know, you don't really address these deep seated issues. And you know, people, I think how many of them are really saved and are going to withstand hard times, you know? So that's a reason, but that was sort of Bill Hybels strategy. And he also came from a business background. His father, I've, I think was a very successful businessman. So he sort of presented himself as, as a businessman, as a CEO pastor. And then the next guy that they sort of touch on in this episode a lot is Rick Warren. Yeah. Everybody knows Rick Warren. Yeah. I mean, America's pastor, we <laughs> talked about him just a while ago. He's retiring and apparently him and Mark Driscoll had, they were on like outs with each other early on in Mark Driscoll's career. And they eventually became friends uh, as Mark Driscoll continued on Mm -hmm. in preaching. But the way Rick Warren, you know, who has at this point, the largest church in America, the way he uh, decided where to plant his church, because he's from the East coast. I think he's from Tennessee, Tennessee or North Carolina, but he basically did Marcus market research. Again, he Mm -hmm. was researching, demographics and he did, he found out through his research that orange county was the fastest growing county in america so he decided to go out to orange county and plant his church there and same sort of mentality the seeker mm-hmm. uh, sensitive seeker friendly kind of atmosphere there was a certain type of um what's the word like a certain type of people he was trying to reach yeah, he actually had, we'll have a picture up on here and we'll, oh, we'll yeah. post it on the Discord if you want to go check it out, of an actual person that he was looking for. They called him Saddleback Sam, and it was like Mr. Orange County was mm-hmm. kind of how they dubbed the person they were looking for. So he knew very well what kind of people he wanted, and he's obviously, you know, 50,000 They're people church. who already are well off financially, like you noticed that in the drawing a businessman. Yeah. And again, business people need, need preaching too. It's just what kind of preaching kind of a thing. So it's kind of interesting how they go into, you know, how these men sort of laid the groundwork for these massive churches that they built. And it was all sort of built on this guy. His name was Robert Schuler. He's oh. kind of like the godfather of mega churches in this country. And he's a weird dude. Okay. Have you ever heard, and I didn't know where it came from, God loves you, and so do I. That's who it came from. 
<laughs> yeah, he's a very – and they talk a lot about Robert Schuler and how he sort of brought about the first, like, mega church really in America called, like, the Crystal Palace or something. Yeah. And what's funny is, you know, he sort of lays the groundwork for these, like, quick sermons and all these different things that, mm-hmm. you know, Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and these guys would build on later on in life. And at one point, he gets Mark Driscoll – comes and interviews with him and they're asking him and they play this on the podcast. It's fascinating. And Driscoll's telling him, the guy asks him about his preaching or whatever. And he's like, yeah, you know, normally I go up there and I'll preach for well over an hour. And the guy's like, Hmm, interesting. He's like, yeah. And I yell a lot. He's like, wow, really? He's like, yeah, you know, but it seems to work and like completely different. (laughs) It's a totally different strategy than what I do. (laughs) And that's what really jumped out to me in this episode was how different Mark Driscoll was from these other mega church pastors that were blown up in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. Like Mm -hmm. from what I gather, Mark Driscoll, he didn't really do market research. He wasn't a businessman per se. Basically the story that they tell about Mark Driscoll is he went to, I think it was like a church conference. His girlfriend at the time winds up marrying her grace, I think is her name. And they're still married. As far as I know, Mm -hmm. she gave him a Bible yeah. He wasn't saved. He wound up reading the Bible, coming back, and he's going to like a church conference. And he goes there and he's just like disgusted with how essentially feminine all these men yeah. are in this church service. And they're all crying and wearing pastel colors. And he's like, <laughs> what is this well, place? Well, he's never been in church a lot. Like he didn't grow up in church, he said, right? No, he grew up apparently a pretty rough life, a fighter. And that was kind yeah. of his personality. Was, yeah. And everybody seems to be in agreement on that, that he's not just some fake tough guy kind of a thing, but that was the actual life he lived. So he decides once he's going to plant the church that I need a church for me, basically. So he builds a church essentially for himself. He does no market research as far as I know, and he plants it in downtown Seattle, which might be the worst place <laughs> in the country to plant You're a gonna church. You're going to get some, I don't know, pretty There's diverse, not many more godless but... places in our country than Seattle, Washington. So, and sorry if there's any Seattle Christians listening, <laughs> I'm sure they agree. but I'm sure you understand. <laughs> so that was what's kind of interesting about Mark Driscoll is he, he's almost counterculture in every respect. And yeah, that, that made me, I mean, I think I've mentioned it before. I, I'm turning into, maybe I'm like the only one in the country. I'm turning into a kind of a Mark Driscoll fan. <laughs> Not that I'm agreeing that you know, his style and some of the methods definitely seemed to cross the line. But as far as the way he did things, the messages he preached and the, you know, the he mentality. would be getting men to cry in his services for other reasons. Yeah. Cause like, he'll hurt your feelings. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, man, I really like it. And then you start looking at the way he planted a church and we've had this talk so much. We've probably been to 20 or 30 different churches since we've been married. I don't know. We go to new churches Probably. we move all the time and every church we go to is the exact same basically and we've had this talk like mm-hmm. does anybody do church differently like if, like if i was planning a church how would i plan it you know what would i want to do and different things like that so then here's a guy who basically did that and yeah. succeeded and not just succeeded but exploded mm-hmm. to where he became the most famous pastor basically in the country at his peak so really neat. And it made me almost think because Driscoll's painted as an awful guy, you know, a total narcissist, um, lunatic, all these things. He's painted very poorly in this. Mm -hmm. 
But part of me sort of, and we talked about this before the episode started that I don't like, part of me feels like it was driven by God because he's said things in different episodes where God told him to do something or he had a vision or a me- God spoke to him and then he'll go and yeah. like that happens. Like he didn't grow up around a church that's all into like listening to God's voice and saying God spoke because there's a lot of churches that are like that. But if he didn't grow up around that, no, then he would, I mean, nobody taught him to just pretend those things. And from what I gathered, he didn't really have much teaching at all. I mean, he was a a new Christian and pastor by like the age of 25 or 27. So he didn't spend his life in church. And so he, you know, he has these instances throughout this podcast that you learn about in his life where he, you know, he says God speaks to him and it doesn't seem like he's lying necessarily. And then he has these you know, calls on his life, like to go and plant Mars Hill and do these sorts of things. And they just seem to work where it shouldn't work kind of a mm-hmm. thing. And I think that's, I don't have, I didn't like really fully flush out this thought as we're kind of spitballing here, but I feel like that's, you know, a lot of people's life, you know, they, maybe you're called by God into doing something, but our human nature just gets in the way and, yeah. you know, you lose sight of it. And you see this with a lot of these pastors, you know, mm-hmm. Or Ravi Zacharias, we talked about him when we did uh, the How the Mighty yeah. Have Fallen episode, the way he felt called by God and God saved his life, basically. He made this oath to God almost that he would live this life of of, of an evan- evangelist and apologist and stuff. And it seemed to have been a calling that he was on and fulfilling. And then he, near the end, fell off the wagon. And Right. It doesn't mean all those things that happened in the beginning um, weren't used by God and that people weren't saved through the preaching of the gospel. Like God uses even, you know, Christians who have fallen away to bring others to, to faith and who endure till the end, even though the person who preached the gospel doesn't endure till the end. Yeah. And I think that's a point just as you were talking there, like I think it's important just with all of this, podcast because I think a lot of times we lose sight of the message because we focus so much on the messenger. And throughout this mm, episode, they right. poke so many holes in Mark Driscoll as a person right. that I think you lose sight of his message. And I feel like his message is more relevant today than it was in the early 2000s when he was preaching it. This yeah. godly masculinity, this um, God-ordained nuclear family, this, you know, passionate, sold out sort of life for God. And I feel like that's so much more needed today than it even was back then. And Mm -hmm. I feel like you get lost a lot in the personality and sort of the, the character of Mark Driscoll. And you may associate his flawed character and be like, well, he must have had a flawed message. And I don't think that's the case. Well, in just a lot like of how he was compared to Donald Trump by who compared him to Donald uh, John Trump? John MacArthur. But just people, like, whatever their role is, you accept the message and just their character. Like, we're all imperfect. Nobody's going to be a perfect person. I can preach the gospel to someone and then, you know, mess up a lot. That doesn't mean that I should stop preaching the gospel just because. I falter and I don't have perfect character. No, and I think the Donald Trump, Mark Driscoll 
is such a apt comparison because I think it's only in hindsight. I mean, for a lot of us at the time, you sort of understood Donald Trump during the presidency and stuff like that. But I think it's like looking back over the last six years and seeing the way that he was portrayed in the media and all the things that were said about him. And obviously 90% of them proved to be untrue, largely. And for the people that love Donald Trump, you know, I heard Glenn Beck say this before that Trump supporters would take Donald Trump seriously, but not literally. Whereas the news media and liberals in this country would take him literally mm -hmm. and not seriously. So he would say something they're like, ah, see, he said that and he's a crazy man, but his supporters would be like, nah, he's just spouting off, but what is he doing? Like, what's the action? And right. I feel like that's a lot of Mark Driscoll. So yeah, I do think the Driscoll Trump comparison is, it's a pretty interesting one, but I'm also fascinated by the whole Driscoll Hybels Warren sort of comparison and the way that they actually both, or they all built their churches sort of in a different way. And it was just, mm -hmm. it was very interesting, but definitely a mega church phenomenon is going on. And it's very, you can see it's damaging, I think, in a lot of respects, because I think it leads to a lot of idol worship of pastors. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. one of the things that they sort of mention in these episodes, especially with like the fall of Driscoll and Hybels, especially. So, yeah. I just want to just lastly say in in the book of Acts, when the gospel was spreading and there were hundreds or maybe thousands, I'll have to brush up on that, but it said the Lord added daily to that number. And that was only through the gospel being preached. And if you go to door, door to door and preach the gospel, you're going to get believers to come to your church and they're going to want to come for the right reasons. So I don't know, maybe they thought of that. I'm sure people have brought that up to these pastors before. I'm sure they get a lot of critiquing and, and all that. But I think we have to remember it is the Lord. Um, the numbers don't matter in attendance, but is salvation is what we, the salvation is what we need to pay attention to the number who's being saved, not the number people attending a church. Cause then it's all in vain. And that's a lot of work, um, all for nothing. I want to do the, the right work and not give credit to a business strategy for growth. Uh, the credit goes to God because it is the power what was that scripture we were talking about earlier, the power of God unto salvation for the gospel is the power yeah. unto salvation. Yeah. For all who believe. Yeah. And last thing is we end this episode here. One of the things Mark Driscoll said that we are in favor of is he talks about early on, you know, he talks about this idea of seeker sensitive and he's in a conference or something, giving a talk. And he said, we need to be seeker insensitive. And I know that that's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way, but we are on board with that. Like if your church is not growing because you're preaching a hard truth, Praise so God. be it, you know, because I think <laughs> too often we don't get a, a real enough discussion from pastors on the wages of sin and right. how damaging that can be. So if that's the message you're preaching, 
and people don't want to hear it and they're leaving, you know, sometimes there's addition by subtraction. So yes. I liked what Driscoll had to say there. So definitely give this episode a listen. It's, it's very fascinating, even though it's not super Mars Hill, you know, specific. So mm-hmm. very good episode. Stick around on Friday. We're going to roll through probably the good news to keep these episodes coming out just so we can get caught up. So Friday should be episode three, and then we'll have four again, maybe Saturday, maybe a Saturday episode or something like that just to get caught up. So thanks for watching, guys. That's all we got. Love you. God bless.